Sometimes people walk away because they want to be alone. Sometimes they walk away because they want to see if you care enough to follow them into hell. I think I went the wrong way. I realized that I always defined myself in terms of what I wasn't. I wasn't a good soldier like my father. I wasn't the job. I wasn't a good prospect for marriage or kids. Always what I wasn't. Never what I was. And when you do that, you miss the moments. And the moments are all we've got. When I thought I was going to die, even after everything that's happened, I realized I didn't want to let go. I was willing to do it all over again, and this time I could appreciate the moments. I, mean, I, I can't go back, but I can appreciate what I have right now. And I can define myself by what I am instead of what I'm not. And what are you? Alive. Everything else is negotiable. An old Egyptian blessing. May God stand between you and harm in all the empty places where you must walk. Hello. You must be Delenn. I'm Anna Sheridan, John's wife. The battle you've been waiting for is here. You've only got a 50-50 chance of getting back alive. Well, who wants to live forever? On the next Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Match incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Podcast land. Welcome to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. We are a group of newbies watching Babylon 5 for the very first time and a group of first ones who have watched Babylon 5 far too many times. And we are here to talk about the penultimate episode of season three, Shadow Dancing. I'm Scott and with me is Nicole, Emily, Mike, Mike, and Justin. Chinchilla. 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 Jesse is still not on her deathbed, but close. She reports that she will be back zombified sooner or later. And Kevin's out celebrating a marriage, which, okay, whatever, Kevin, priorities. So they'll be back soon. But we're here again to talk about shadow dancing. Before we do that, please make sure to go check out all the links down below. You can join our conversations on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are currently doing our bracket for the end of season three, where you can vote for your favorite episodes. We're currently in round three, moving into the semifinals. So if you want to make sure your episode continues to move forward, check us out on Twitter. And then the newbies will have their own conversation on the bracket. 
on October 22nd, which is when we're going to do our live season three recap. That link is already available on our YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, you can notify yourself when we do go live for that October 22nd season three recap. Along with checking all the links, please also make sure you like, subscribe, follow. I know by analytics, only about half of you are subscribed. So please hit that subscribe button and then follow button. That really does help us. We're very close to hitting a milestone on Spotify. Uh, 500 subscribers just on Spotify. We're really close. So if you're listening on Spotify, hit that follow button. Along with that, if you're listening on Apple, go ahead and hit that review button because we love getting five-star reviews from Apple because that really does help us grow. And we didn't get any more reviews from last week, so we don't have any to do that. But I am happy to say that right now, we are the number three TV review podcast in Sweden. So hello. so hello to all our Swedish people Ooh. listening. Um, and you've got some competition because your buddies over in Finland have us at number eight. So you got to keep listening so Finland doesn't take over, much like the Russians want to. So you want to make sure you do that. So now we're going to go ahead and dive in to talking about shadow dancing. And I believe, Nicole, you have a absolutely not plagiarized synopsis for us. I'm going to add a little spice to it. Cool. Spice. <laughs> so Sheridan and Delenn rally the crew and they launch a strike against the shadows and with the attempt to fuck them up. Uh, Franklin, he is still on his walkabout. He eventually finds himself after he jeopardizes his life trying to do a good deed and ends up getting screwed in the end. And his meeting of himself didn't go as well as he would have hoped it did. So a big episode. So Sheridan and Delenn try to fuck up the shadows while Franklin does get fucked up. Yes, exactly. Got it. Got it. Okay, let's go to our newbies and get their first impressions. And again, for those who are just joining us, because I'm going to guess we're going to get a lot of new followers as we get into the end of season three. These newbies have not watched past Shadow Dancing, so this is their first time watching that episode, and they have not seen what comes next. So let's go to Emily. First impressions on Shadow Dancing. Okay. So I'm going to start with this was much better than the previous episode. Yay! I do have one issue. It is they changed the actor who played Sheridan's wife because I was like, I know that voice. And I kept trying to place her in the show, but she hasn't been in the damn show. So Emily, I think it was... It was either you or maybe it was Jesse when we actually saw this flash forward on World Without World Without End. Was it you? And you said I couldn't place this voice. So when uh, we went to Beyond the Rim, we asked if Emily has ever watched Little House on the Prairie. And I have. And if you, whenever my reaction video gets posted, I'll be like, "Fuck! It was his wife." And that's Laura Ingalls Wilder. But do you also know her relationship to Bruce Broxleitner? That I do not know because I am not that into people's relationships. Well, they are married, so oh. she is. Oh, she is. Wow. She is Sheridan's wife and Bruce's wife. Wow. All in one. Hmm. What happened there was there was a scheduling conflict with the original actress, and of course, if you can get. Uh, Melissa Gilbert to join your show even for a little bit. Well, then, yeah, I think that scheduling conflict was okay. So they went to uh, Bruce and said, "Hey, is Melissa available?" And he's like, "Let me ask her. She's right here." And here you go. Yeah, it's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. So I was a little bit salty about that because I knew the voice, but I kept yeah. trying to place her within the series. It didn't, and I didn't hear enough of it to realize, oh, it's not from the show. I'm recognizing it from Lil House and the Prairie that I haven't watched in like. 15 years. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Melissa Gilbert's done a lot more than that, but I, I would assume. Has, but that's like where I would most, that's where I know her from. I know she's done other stuff, but yes. Yeah. Anything else you have for your first impressions? 
Um, eh, we'll just leave it there. We'll talk about more as we go. Cool. Justin, first impressions. Uh, I guess I'm Emily this week. It was it was okay. Wow. I mean, it wasn't anything that I don't know. Maybe I was just expecting more, but it it was. It's not. It's not bad, but it wasn't to me as crazy good as the previous episode was. I mean, Sheridan's wife showing up made it worth it. Um, for sure. Uh, but the battle was, the battle was all right. It was cool. Um, I'm just glad this Franklin walkabout bullshit's done. I've had enough of it. I'm glad he's back on the job and we can all move on with our lives. So I'm hoping one of my predictions comes true where he kind of becomes better, you know, a better Franklin out of this whole thing, but we'll see. But yeah, that's pretty much what I got for this one. And Nicole. I really liked this episode. Um, I thought there was a lot of meat to it. Uh, there was a lot of forward motion action, you know, things happening that are going to kind of progress us to the next steps. Uh, every episode has been like that, where it's just building and building and building. So I thought that was really cool. Some completely unrelated highlights that I enjoyed throughout the show that I wanted to bring up because they're not necessarily something that we'll talk about further. Um, the old Egyptian blessing. I thought that was really cool. Um, an- again, another JMS bringing religion into the show when he is an atheist, but it still sounds beautiful. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, the, sh- the shot of Sheridan and Zelen on like the, the battle station with all the ships and the space around them, that was dope as hell. That was so freaking cool. Uh, Ivanova fighting with the bed and when it like she thought she had it flat and it flipped that <laughs> I literally snort laughed. It was so I don't know why it was so funny to me, but it just cracked me up. Um, I think I made the best happened of it. to us. We yeah. would yeah. try that in that. Yes, yeah. The best part about it was the Foley work where it just kept clicking, click, click, yeah. click, click, click. <laughs> it, just, it made me laugh so bad. And then when she finally put all the cushions on the floor, she gets called to the bridge. So I just, <laughs> that whole sequence really cracked me up. I really also enjoyed uh, Franklin's kind of speech at the end about how he was focused on what, uh, he defined himself by what he wasn't, and he needs to define himself by what he has you know and i thought Mm -hmm. that was really beautiful and i thought that was a great way to kind of wrap up the walkabout but yeah other than that i was very shocked with the visitor at the end i didn't see that coming i thought it was going to be an alien or some random person and then yeah i just i really thought there was a lot to this i mean the battle almost was secondary to me i feel like because there was so much other shit going on but yeah i i really enjoyed this episode i thought it was good and now we'll go over to our first ones who have watched the entire series mike first impressions uh, I I do really like this episode. Um, the both of the plot lines I think are are pretty solid uh, for the most part. There's a little bit of weird weird cheese going on with the Franklin walkabout story, but um, the parts of that story that I really like actually are almost the parts that don't necessarily include Franklin. I really like the conversation between uh, Zach and Garibaldi and kind of how Garibaldi's relationship with Franklin plays into the whole thing. And then, uh, you know, and so that that to me really, really pulled that plot line off. And uh, then secondly, the, the battle uh, plot was was really good. Like Emily said, it had a lot of meat to it. It moved the story forward. I think Emily said that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's there's another moment there that didn't necessarily have anything to do with the battle itself. The the part of that storyline that I kind of gravitated towards was the beginning when Delenn has to step up into the leader role and convince everybody to back the play. I thought that was a really powerful scene um, and kind of kind of made the whole thing click for me. So yeah, it's uh, it was it was overall a really I think a really strong episode. This is maybe 
the second time in these three seasons when I've had to fight the compulsion to click next and watch the next episode because of that zinger ending. Um, So, yeah. Blake. So I also really like this episode, but I can see where maybe some people fell off a little bit with it. I think it definitely is slower, I think, than some of the other episodes we've had as far as pacing goes, but that's not a bad thing. Because we've commented on that with other shows that are serialized. A lot of times you get into these pacing issues where they stretch certain things out for too long and then they just do almost like this rapid fire of events. And we've seen that way too much. And I think in this show, the pacing is a little more even, especially with some of these uh, episodes that really get into the overall arc. Because we've, we've had some bigger episodes where things have really moved, and now we slow down a little bit more with this one while still hitting on those elements of the story that are essential. So I, I really like this, but I can see where watching it maybe as a first time or even as a standalone, it could be a little little less appealing than some of the other episodes we've seen so far. For me, uh, I, I enjoy this episode a lot. Honestly, though, I will say that I always forget about this episode, especially like when I'm looking just through the list of episode titles. I'm like, oh, there's a banger. There's a banger. Shadow Dancing. Which one's that? I forgot which one that was. I'm like, oh, I do like this episode. So it definitely fits in the middle with uh, some other stuff. I will say this is JMS's, at least when he was writing in the 90s, this is his favorite episode of season three. Uh, He feels that it moves the plot along and he sees it as um, kind of the big season finale you usually get, but he did it an episode early and you'll see why he did an episode early next week. Uh, And it, it does pan out with the fan votes too uh with the p5 score from lurkers guide it is the top 20 episode of the entire series although next week's is higher and we'll talk about that when we get to next week for me i really enjoy the franklin stuff the one thing i will say on this is i'm so glad we finally got to this episode because we were talking about this episode the first time you all started talking about franklin and how he is as a doctor how he is as a person and how he is as an addict and every time you guys brought it up, and there was a lot of Franklin hate, so I'm looking forward to seeing where we where we fall here on this episode. Every time we went to Beyond the Rim, it's like, well, there's a point to this, and we're getting to that point, and we are finally arrived with his end of his walkabout. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Let's go ahead and dive in. And Nicole, where do you want to take us first? Let's start with Franklin's walkabout. Cool. Get it out of the way since, you know, people are kind of sick of it. But um, I... First of all, when he met himself, he was savage. He did not hold back. He called him out on his shit. And he basically was like telling Garibaldi, I didn't really like myself. And I think that that was the revelation or as he would say, kick in the head that he needed. It kind of went through his whole history about how he basically ran away from everything. And it seems that maybe he either didn't have the confidence or he didn't have the strength within to kind of face his demons in his battle. So he would just leave. And I think this near death experience maybe gave him that. And like he said at the end, you know, uh, I need to focus on what I have and I'm alive, you know, and I think that going forward, he is going to be better. And for the record, I've always liked Franklin, even though there was some things he did that were a little weird, but I've always liked him as a character. Um, I just, I guess I go against the grain on that. I just, I like him. So I'm excited to kind of see this arc and what happens next with this character. I think that it's only going to go up from here, or at least that's what I hope or predict. So I just, I really liked the way that it, you know, closed out. Like he tried to do a good deed. He gets stabbed. He almost died. But in that almost dying, he kind of finds what he was looking for on his walkabout. And even though it didn't pan out the way he thought it would, and he didn't like himself, it was exactly what he needed to continue going forward and 
when he got reinstated at the end, I was so happy. And like, it was good to kind of see him taking action, even though he was in the wheelchair. So it was, I really am excited to see what happens next. Justin. I think it was a fitting end for the walkabout. It's, he had to be brutally honest with himself. He had to be, he had to be brutally savage with himself. And what, what better time to do a lot of honest introspection than when you're on the verge of death. And I think that maybe that's what it took for Franklin to finally quote unquote, look at the mirror and he didn't like what he saw. And it was, he, he even said himself, I didn't find what I wanted, but I found what I needed or something to that effect. So it wasn't the answer that he wanted along his journey, but it was all what he needed to realize about himself in order to finally change for what I hope is the better. And I, I agree with Nicole. And I think a lot of us have said it um, at one time or another, but hope he comes back a better person for it. Emily. I did like the Franklin storyline and I thought it gave him a chance to actually show his skills as an actor. I thought he did a fantastic job, especially as like his criticizing self, (laughs) if we can call it that. And um, how he portrayed that. And I think at the end, his realization was pretty accurate and how a lot of people struggle with their self-image because we're always focused on what we aren't. Like, we aren't good at this or we aren't good at that or like we didn't do this or we didn't do that. And it's always focusing on the what we didn't or what we aren't instead of focusing on like who we actually are. So I thought that was that was a good way to end it because I feel like had they gone another way, it might not have felt as like, true to life and it that was a pretty solid realization for him because based on uh, what we've seen of his dad like there were really high expectations growing up it seems like so I could see why he would internalize that and focus all on well I'm not this I'm not him I'm not doing that and how it would be hard to actually face that Nicole I really like what Emily said because I think the whole ending arc of the storyline that's it's so relatable to most people because we all have something that we doubt or we are not sure about or whatever and also too like not to sound cliche but i think sometimes it takes something bad happening for you to kind of snap out of it and realize what you actually have and like realize what's in front of you you know um i was just talking to somebody the other day like i just spent the last two months basically recovering from this major medical trauma and i was robbed of two months of my life and something as simple as being able to drive my car or tie my own shoe when i couldn't even move my leg for a month and a half was so like you really focus on what you are and what you have like you know years ago maybe you would focus on what you weren't or what you didn't have but once that it's like a it's almost like a light bulb that clicks in your head and once it clicks it's like a completely different mindset so from just kind of like my experience and if I'm hoping the character goes the direction that I I hope I feel like it's going to be a whole new world for him and I I also feel like what I think is so cool is that how many years ago was this written 20 30 years ago and it's still relatable that's still something that people deal with on a daily basis now if not even more so now because social media and like things like that that make you really question things so i really appreciate the fact that it was so true to the human nature and it was something that is so relatable and even like again just another example of all these years later how this show mirrors real life in so many ways. And I just thought that that was so cool. And and sorry if I went off on a tangent, but Emily, you just kind of, you kind of struck me there. So I had to throw that in. 
Yeah, Nicole, this was aired in the United States October 21 of 1996. Because wow. back then, season finales were in the fall rather than the springtime. Back in the day. Wow. Justin. Well, I mean, I completely agree with both Nicole and, and, and Emily on this. We have a name for it now, right? It's called imposter syndrome, you know, where you feel like that no matter what you do you're never good enough in or you're never going to be good enough and that's exactly what franklin was experiencing for pretty much his entire life never living up to his father's you know never living up in his father's eyes and everybody always you know questioning him and when things went wrong sometimes it was just easier to tuck tail and run than dealing and facing with your problems so you know it's yeah 100 relatable i mean I think we all deal with it, you know, in one way or another. I know I do. I deal with that quite a bit. So, yeah, it's it's it was it was definitely very raw, um, you know, going through watching uh, watching Franklin go through all that. But it's it worked out. I, I think it's I think he's going to be better off for it. Emily. I was going to say it also explains so much of his interactions with his patients, because if he was so focused on like needing to be be a very narrowly defined person as like, I'm this doctor, I'm the head of the med lab. And for anyone to question his medical decisions would have felt like a personal attack instead of like, hey, I understand why you made that decision, but maybe we need to look at it from this perspective. So when he was coming back kind of hostile or even aggressive in some cases, I mean, it now makes so much more sense, at least to me. Nicole. And like Emily had said about the acting, it gave him a lot to do and like how it was cool to kind of see him, you know, like use his acting chops. What I really thought was great, too, is that you really felt that like pain and you felt that desperation when he was like, I want to try again. I want to start again or whatever. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was palpable. You could feel it. And I thought that was so cool. And that's just a testament to his acting ability, because if somebody can make you feel that energy through the screen, they're doing something right. Yeah, It seemed like he was getting his anger through too, with all the criticism of like unleashing all that anger he felt towards himself. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that he actually experienced and wasn't so much acting, but actually maybe a release of letting some of his own personal stuff go through the scenes. A couple of things I enjoy about this uh, whole little plot is one, it was already brought up the Zach and Garibaldi uh mm-hmm. conversation zach hasn't had too much to do in the past episodes and i guess i shouldn't have started by saying enjoyed because this really does hit differently when you know that both of these actors have now passed in part because of addiction and so when they're talking about one garibaldi is talking about how was i supposed to back off or was this a time where i don't back off did i make the right choice and zach's talking about how well he was given every chance to for people to support him and he kept telling people to go away and he pushed them away and pushed them away both these guys are talking about their lives mm-hmm. and that isn't that that's rough the other piece that i do enjoy is that last little beat with Franklin, uh, not when he's in the chair, but before when he's on the bed, and he's looking at what's going on in Med Bay, and you can see on his face, he's realizing, man, I I should be there right now, but I was so busy dealing with my own stupid shit that I'm stuck in here when I'm taking up a bed for somebody else. And I think that, more even so than the walkabout, is where Franklin makes his turn and says, 
I, I need to be able to be responsible for these people. They shouldn't be responsible for me. So I, I like that scene. It's real, really well acted. This whole plot point is really re- well acted by Biggs. So I really, I really like this piece of it. Even if Walkabout was probably strung out a few episodes more than it should have been, um, I, I like the culmination of it. Anything yeah, else I you would, guys want? Oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, I would, I would back that up completely. And, and like I said, the, the, the scene that, that was the most impactful for me was that that beginning scene with Garibaldi and Zach. And, and to me, it had a lot to do with Garibaldi's struggle with how how to be there for his friend in that situation. You know, do, do you give them space? Do you let them push you away? Or do you continue following? Because I think a lot of us have probably been in a similar position at some point with, with somebody we cared about, right, that, that uh, needed help. And yeah, I mean, as you said, was this uh, stretched out a lot? Yes. And I think that was never made more clear than that opening scene of Space Karen and her, I don't know, son and grandson, I guess. (laughs) I was thinking the same Uh, thing. Space Karen. Yes. Hardware store's wife from what a bitch. Okay, well that's. <laughs> but I wrote that in my notes too. That's space a good Karen. catch. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it was just there. There were quite a few scenes of uh, I don't know Franklin hunkered over in a in a hallway, pulling his coat weirdly up over his face for some reason. I like. <laughs> I just I don't know. I saw that in this episode, and I just had to laugh, even though I did think that the little moment he had with the you know the little girl was actually really cute. You know. And, and that little moment of don't dehumanize people that are down on their luck. Blake. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here, Scott. I know shocking, right? Someone's going to disagree with Scott. No, uh, I don't think the walkabout piece went too long. I actually like that. It took a little bit because we've talked about the portrayals of addiction and the issues surrounding addiction. And in a lot of shows, you've seen this kind of pattern where you've got someone who's struggling with addiction. They have the little intervention in the next week's episode you know, G thanks everybody for the intervention and they're back fine doing whatever and, you know, past it. I like that this showed that this isn't a quick process. It did stretch this out and showed that, you know, recovery, whether it be through, you know, Franklin doing walkabout or other means is it's not an immediate solution. It doesn't fix things overnight. There is some time involved in that. So I I did like that it was stretched out a little bit with the walkabout storyline and not so neatly wrapped up quickly. Fine, I'll allow it. Anybody else have anything they want to talk about with Franklin? I almost forgot about the uppity space bitch. <laughs> uh, she was delightful. We've all seen it. We've all seen it. Why did you come here? <laughs> right? Just feel better about yourself? That's, and also, what did that brochure say? Yeah. Uh, why did it, why'd you go there? You you know that wasn't like an official brochure. It's like a map to the stars, you know? It's like, <laughs> be careful. They're going to pickpocket here. Yeah, that's official. No, not so much. I have encountered and, that person while traveling before. Exactly. So so have I. And you know that dumbass paid 50 bucks for that, uh, that brochure because it's, you oh, know, yeah. good. Oh, people, people, people. So the one thing I wanted to bring up, too, is interesting. And if you've read, which I know none of you have, but Blake and I uh, have read JMS's autobiography, the walkabout, especially the mugging, is very important to JMS. And actually, it's really interesting to watch his mind work while he made this, because again, he's the most prolific writer showrunner on the internet. I think that's pretty easy to, to state because he's been doing the internet stuff before the internet was the internet. But I kind of want to just read through. 
he was answering a couple different questions about that scene because how it started is there's a conversation online in 96 because he was worried that the UK censors would censor some of the attack. And it actually happened. The UK censors did delete a little bit of the attack. But he's talking about it's okay. Uh, even if you don't see everything, we get the point across. You understand what's going on. It's fine. So it's really fun to kind of see how the writing process kind of jogged JMS's memory on this. So the first question he had uh, on the Usenet was, have you ever gone on walkabout before? Well, yeah, kind of. Back when I was living in San Diego, before it got nuked, well, that hasn't happened yet, but soon, I got into a kind of a similar mode of thought and would go for walks through downtown San Diego at two to four in the morning. Hours, 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 just walking through parts of the area where I could have gotten killed. When folks asked me why, I couldn't answer. All I could come up with was that I was looking for something. And I found it, kinda, in a somewhat similar situation. But that gets into some other personal areas, then this may not be the right form for that. Suffice to say, I was almost killed, and leave it at that. And then he just keeps going on different posts, and he kind of elaborates more. So here's a funny thing. Well, funny weird. See, every so often, someone will ask, how much of you goes into the script? And I'll answer, more than I know at the time. And they asked for an example. A few questions ago, someone asked about if I'd ever gone on a walkabout, and I thought of the San Diego thing. And it suddenly dawned on me that was behind the Franklin thing. Long story short, I got attacked and mugged by a gang and beaten nearly to death and survived only by a sheer act of will. And I'd honestly never, ever put that together with walkabout until the question and suddenly there it was. I was working out exactly what I'd gone through, denying it to myself the whole time that it was going on. Well, anyway, that's just uh, that just hit me like a ton of bricks and thought I'd pass it along. And then he goes on again. In retrospect, that was something I probably should not have mentioned and would not have had the thing not just utterly blindsided me in the middle of the conference. Uh, what got me through the attack and its aftermath those years ago was sheer unadulterated rage that I would not allow them to take my life because I had stories left in me to tell. And no matter what, I'd tell these stories. At first, I made my peace with myself. I'd never gone out of my way to hurt anyone, had helped where I could, had done some good work. I had a few things on the shelf, not a lot, but a start. But then I just started to get mad about it and pulled myself back from the edge. So yeah, in a sense, I faced that black implacable wall. It does drive you after a while. And I do think, to a large degree, I'm still trying to define myself, to find what it is at the center of me beyond the work. But then I don't think it's terribly special. It seems to be a standard dilemma in an industrial society. So it's kind of interesting that he poured himself into Franklin and didn't even realize he was dealing with his own demons at the same time. Wow, that's insane. This is one of the many times that JMS should have died. Wow. <laughs> and he yeah. goes in a lot he goes in a lot more detail in the autobiography because I think he's exercised more of the demons when he writes the autobiography in the 20 uh, 2010s 2020s mm-hmm. as opposed to here in the 90s but motherfucker should have died that's oh, crazy when did that when did that book come out July 23rd 2019 was when it was released oh wow, wow. no kidding okay mm-hmm. he actually his his first part of it is he's talking about writing since eight which is the show he was working on when yeah. he was writing the autobiography. Mm-hmm. So I, I know we bring up that book a lot, but it's it's just fascinating how uh, I, I like I like to learn how writers do things because I am absolutely not a writer and never will be. But it's fascinating how they kind of come to different points of their stories. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't wait to read it. That's the first thing I'm doing once we finish the show. Same. I think what we may do is like maybe a bonus, and I will have to just talk about it. But maybe we like do a chapter a week and like literally do a book club and yes. just go through it. Yeah, totally yes. down, one hundred percent. But uh, we gotta get through season five. We are furlong book too, maybe. Mm-hmm. I haven't read Mira's. I've read I'd Claudia's, like and I've read uh, JMS's. Claudia's is rough. That's what I hear. Rough. If you ever watch Braveheart. William the Bruce is a piece of shit. Not the character, but the actor, piece of shit. Because yeah. he uh, he dated Claudia for a long time. He she also dated I, um, the the guy who died with Diana in the car. Oh, Dodie Fayette. Dodie Fayette. She yeah. had like a like a ten year relationship with Dodie off and wow. on. No kidding. Mm-hmm. There's it, it's an interesting story. The girl's been around like a lot. <laughs> get it, girl. Get it. Get it. Get it. Uh, I mean, if I look like that, I probably would. Too. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Same. Well, Scott, one thing that you said when you were talking about JMS and like, I feel like a the hallmark of a good writer, whether it translates onto screen or a book, is that they put a little bit of themselves into it. You know, it kind of reminds me of Kevin Smith a little bit. Like a lot of the characters in his movies and stuff are based upon him and his friends and his experiences. And I think that that connects to people more than anything. You can have the biggest budget in the world and the fanciest tech and graphics and all that. But if your story doesn't connect to your audience, what's the fucking point? You know what I mean? And if you look at something like Clerks, who had no budget whatsoever, but it was a phenomenon and like it was so relatable to what people were going through in that time frame. And that's kind of like maybe that's partially why I feel like I will really like JMS's book, too, because if you can pour yourself into your work and you can portray a story and it comes from somewhere that's meaningful, I think that is is the definition of success and clearly we've seen that over and over again in the show let's go ahead and move over to the other plot which is our fight with the shadows emily okay i just want to say how much i actually really like the graphics and i'm so glad they've improved the graphics in season one that was like one of the first things i said because if we we're still dealing with some season one graphics i don't think that scene those scenes would have been very good so i I was actually impressed with the improvements that we've seen since we've started. And it really helped make the scene that much better. Nicole. Yeah, I thought it was really cool when you saw them all kind of coming in and like it was the big ships and the small ships and they were flanking. And um, mm. also those Membari ships were massive. Holy shit. Right? Um, they were really big. But that my favorite scene was that room with like the screen all around. It was just mm. so it was like something you'd see at the planetarium, like a room where you could see the stars, you know, like I just it was so cool to me. I, I thought that was really neat. And I, I didn't know if Marcus and Ivanova were going to make it out. I, I was a little nervous for a minute there. I thought they were going to be toast but i was like they're not going to kill a but there's no way so um i kind of got over that real quick but i kind of didn't understand the ending of the battle and maybe i'm stupid it looked like one of the ships was dispersing smaller ones and then they all disappeared so i could have been completely wrong like maybe and i watched it a couple times i'm like wait are they just leaving or like because i know they didn't beat them but like they just took off is that what happened at the what, end what what ship are you referring to that dispersed smaller ships a shadow one of the, sh- yeah one of the shadow yeah. ships that looked, they, or did, what did it get blown up they bleed Okay. They're biological. Oh. So when you're seeing all that little black stuff. Yeah, that's what I was curious about. They're, they're being wounded. Oh, because I thought they were releasing more ships to fight and then they all disappeared. I'm like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Like, nope. they, they, they hurt them enough where they ran. 
Okay. That was the whole point. They gotcha. They, they didn't. They, they didn't win the battle. In fact, Delin says we yeah. lost two ships for every one of theirs, but they didn't succeed. The shadows did not get what they wanted. Right. Okay. I just okay. That makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. They bleed. Justin. I mean, I also like some of the stuff leading up to the battle. I like the on-screen time with both Marcus and Ivanova. Marcus still trying to shoot his shot, and poor boy keeps missing. God, that um, was awkward. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, both on the bridge, and then you know when he was sitting there telling his little white lie about oh, how he says sweet. that she's that she's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen, and then makes up a whole different thing about what exactly that meant, and you can definitely tell he's still pretty smitten with her. But anyway, like I liked the some of the other stuff, like the the whole weird thing with, um, and I guess it kind of ties into later on, but. The whole thing with, you know, Delenn and Sheridan about how once they get back and kind of that whole sleeping ritual thing that Membari do um, was actually kind of weird, but also kind of interesting at the same time. But in terms of the battle itself, I thought it was pretty well done. I mean, it was kind of kind of one of the cooler parts of the episode for me, um, not just because, you know pew pew and explosions and stuff like that but i definitely agree 100 percent. i love the fact that they've got a bigger budget than they did in uh season one because i thought that they did pretty well with the graphics or for they did as well as they could with the limitations of the mid 90s so i thought you know it was pretty cutting edge back then and then yeah you could definitely tell over the course of the whole battle they're taking some pretty heavy losses so they still don't have this they're still not on par with the shadows even with the telepaths you know sitting there and you can tell that even the telepaths were kind of struggling with this entire battle some of them were still kind of like laying there twitching and stuff like that so i don't know if they were feeling pain from everything or what exactly was going on with that but it's it was definitely a really heavy toll and the the league of i guess they're not non-aligned worlds anymore we'll just call it the council of worlds or whatever that delen had to kind of go up against in the beginning um they were they weren't really exactly thrilled about being a part of this and now that a lot of ships got destroyed i'm kind of worried about repercussions from them for that i love the look that ivanova gives marcus when he mentions the four post bed that's his like how far can i take this yeah. and then ivanova's like you've gone too far and i love that look uh but yeah no it's it's really good points i will say justin they are still the league of non-aligned worlds that's what they're calling okay. themselves i do love that we get the council chamber we haven't had the council chamber since like early season two i think yeah it's so, been a hot minute yeah blake what do you got so I want to circle back for a minute on the graphics that came up with the discussion because so the graphics throughout the show were done by Foundation Imaging. And first of all, Foundation actually won an Emmy for season one of the show. They won an Emmy award for the graphics from season one. And it was the work they did on Babylon 5 with different uh, programs, different software, uh, pioneering the use of, I believe it was, uh, what was it, Lightwave? was what they were using at the time. And yep. that, I mean, that became the standard of TV uh, CGI graphics through the 90s and early 2000s. And it was actually uh, leading up through the end of season three, they actually started doing work for Star Trek as well. They did uh, CGI for Voyager, for Deep Space Nine. A lot of the Delta Flyer CGI from Voyager was foundation imaging. A lot of the ships in CGI and DS9 was foundation imaging, which they actually won additional Emmy Awards for that too. Um, they did the, for those that saw the director's remaster of Star Trek, the motion picture, that was also foundation imaging that did the retouch on that. So, I mean, the folks they had doing the graphics um, were cutting edge for the time they were doing this. 
And actually, without the work they did on this show, pioneering a lot of these things, because it was really it was B5 taking a chance on them and, you know, putting the money into them to develop their skill and use of these tools that led to the more widespread use that went into Star Trek, the Battlestar Galactica reboot, and all of these other shows that uh, took use of what was built by Foundation Imaging. Unfortunately, Foundation ended up folding in the mid-early 2000s, but uh, their legacy is very clear in sci-fi and TV CGI. Yeah, that's actually really, I was just going to add to that, that's actually a really good point, and a lot of us, I think, don't necessarily think about that when we, you know, watch our shows, but A, you can't look at anything from the 90s and, and see anything better than what B5 is. It really is, even though it looks kind of rough and dated today, there was nothing better at the time. It was absolutely cutting edge. And and I guess kind of a fun point about that is there were there were a few different companies that were big names in, in the CG graphic uh, game. There was Foundation, and then I know like Mainframe up in uh, Canada was another big one. And it's kind of fun to think like these companies weren't just a bunch of artists using programs that somebody else wrote that are you know kind of standard or whatever like a lot of these companies were literally inventing the technology season by season episode by episode you know like i i read some article once where they were like somebody was talking about like yeah next season we'll have water because we figured out how to do water like stuff like that so it was it was super duper cutting edge impressive stuff for for the time what else you guys got there's got to be more to talk about maybe not no i had something and now i'm trying to remember i got distracted Oh, I had something that I thought was funny when, uh, <laughs> sorry, oh, when, Snort count. when, oh, <laughs> when Delenn was telling Sheridan about what happens when she stays the night and like that whole sequence and oh, she says, God. oh, we'll cut it off. And he goes, you what? Like, and he thought she <laughs> meant cut off his dick, his face. I, again, I snort laughed. Like I, that whole sequence was hilarious. She was like, I'll spend the night. And he was like, what, what happens then? And then what happens next? Like, basically he's asking, are we going to do it? You know? And she says, yeah. And then I can make a complaint and then we can cut it off. And he was like, what? <laughs> he didn't even, he didn't even say what he just gave her a look. It was the yeah. best box liner acting ever. <laughs> was, I, I was dying. I wrote it down and I highlighted it. I can't believe I forgot to bring that up. I thought that was so funny. Um, but that whole sequence I thought was kind of cute and kind of funny and i also thought it was kind of cute that marcus basically told ivanova she was the most beautiful woman he ever saw or whatever and kind of lied so there was a lot of cute little meat cutes in this episode i thought i mean with claudia christian is he wrong is he no wrong? no you would I, not argue against that point no and it's funny because when i was watching the credits you know in the beginning when like it shows each of them it's like she looks at the camera and she smiles and i was like damn she makes me question like she's so beautiful <laughs> like it, she just flashes the smile and i was like god she's gorgeous like well when we get her back beautiful. when we get her back for another interview you can ask her pointed questions about your sexuality i'm sure oh, she'll god. <laughs> she's by i'll tell you that right now so. stuff up. no I'm, I'm happy with my man but man she is gorgeous holy hell hold on i'm gonna jump in here quick speaking of looking at the camera and flat flashing that smile that drowsy guy in the beginning am i right <laughs> <laughs> i do love the fact that it's the drowsy who is the one guy who's kind of leading the league now mm -hmm. he's like yeah of all the, people yeah because i mean we've the drowsy have always been a joke to us right purple green purple green pretty pretty much but I, it's 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 something that you just sometimes you don't get in sci-fi is they they have multi dimensions they're Actually, different people. Have they always been a joke? Is wasn't it a Drazi Sunhawk 
ship that was going to like blow up Babylon five in like yeah. the third episode or something like that. Well, and okay. So they've been a joke or they've been a threat. How about that? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I love when you walk in, when she walks into that room and you think, okay, they all left her. She said, if you don't agree with us, leave. And they're all gone. Yeah. I love that scene. I just had to laugh when they like the cameras just, I don't know, <laughs> zoomed in so far up that dude's nose. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what are they doing right now? <laughs> Our makeup is this good. It holds. Watch. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Justin. Well, and I guess something else to kind of talk about, and I'm kind of curious about other people's opinions on this is kind of post-battle um, when you kind of get the, you know, the first WTF moment of like this little shuttle leaving a shadow ship and flying off through hyperspace. And then there's like a whole prophecies kind of come to fruition here during this last part, because there was the way, way back in the time, time, time before you guys talked a lot about this dream. You talked a lot about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we had a pretty long damn conversation about what this dream meant and everything. And, now we have our answers for it like and they were sitting there walking through the whole thing again which i actually kind of appreciated because by this time i kind of had forgotten that dream ever happened so i'm kind of glad they kind of walked through the pieces of it again and kind of trying to figure out you know well you know why did ivanova say do you know who i am why was sheridan wearing a psychop uniform who's the man in between and stuff like that. And then they finally start to kind of figure out that, okay, maybe it's going to be Sheridan's con is kind of, I think, where they were going for in their own internal discussion there. Like, this is going to be your equal and opposite with the with the shadows. And this whole time you're watching this little shuttle, you know, somebody's coming. You're watching this little shuttle kind of, you know, fly through. And then you're getting this kind of first person view where everybody's kind of looking at this person weird. And I was sitting there kind of this entire sequence watching this all break down was like, who the fuck is this person? Did anyone else because, think it might have been Morden? And everyone's like, why is he back on the station? Yep. I kind of was, I kind of thought maybe it could have been Morden, but... At the same time, like people looked like there was some general genuine surprise. And yeah. then and then when Ivanova's laying there in bed, he's like, Yeah, you know what? Somebody just walked on the station. I don't think they would have done that for Morton necessarily. I don't think they would have gone through the trouble of waking up Ivanova. So so like to me, it was like somebody everybody kind of knew, or a lot of people knew that was like maybe. I, you know, it was it was like, who the hell could it be? And honestly, I got caught off guard. I was not expecting it to be Sheridan's wife. So like that was kind of a holy shit moment when she just comes strutting through the door. And I'm like, no way. And she's there. She is dressed in black and everything like that. And yep, here I am. I'm 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 Anna Sheridan. Nice to meet you. Oh, you must be Delin, by the way. I can't wait to find out where this goes because now she's one of the bad guys so it's gonna be interesting it's yeah that was like as much as i was kind of i guess disappointed is a rough word for for what i felt about this episode but kind of everything else i thought about this episode that moment made the entire episode worth it for me nicole what do you got well, I was going to bring up the whole dream uh, conversation. Yes. Uh, that Justin kind of already started talking about um, th- about them going through that step by step. I'm still not sure who the man in between is. Like, I, that's one of my questions. Like, neither are they. They're the, trying to who figure is it? Out. Like, yeah. Like, what is that significance? I, so that was just kind of something that I thought we should hit on. So um, 
Thanks for bringing that up, Justin. Um, And then the other thing was, I feel like when I saw his wife at first, I thought maybe like it wasn't really her. And I could be completely wrong, but like, how the fuck is she alive? And if the only person who saw who was there with her was Morden, she's definitely a shadow person. Like she's got to be a puppet like Morden. Like there's no fucking way. If she is real, she's not really her, I don't think. There's no way. Like, so I'm interested to see what the next step is with her because as far as everyone knows, she's dead, you know? And then she rolls up in here and she's like, oh, hi, you must be Delenn. You're fucking my husband. Cool. Hi, blah, blah, blah. Like, bitch, like, right? if I came into my man's room and there was some bitch in there, I would rip her out by her hair and beat the fuck out of her. I'd mollywop her ass. Now, lucky for her, Delenn has hair, so we're good yeah. to go. You know, but like, I just, I don't know. There is something that does not sit right with me. And I am dying to know mm-hmm. what it is and who she is and where she came from and what is going on. I definitely think she's a meat puppet from the shadows. Oh, you can send your comments too. Cause the meat puppet people, oh my goodness. They love to talk to us. <laughs> so one of the things I, again, and we, Justin, you were mentioning us this last week too, the rewatchability of this show. So one of the scenes and one of the story points that you, I think every newbie dogged and said it just didn't work for them was when Sheridan's sister came to the station with the video from his wife. Now, of course, different actress, whatever, but you guys didn't like it. So now I'm interested to see when you go back for a rewatch and you know that that's not the last time we're going to see Anna, how that hits. Because that entire episode is about Sheridan being able to say goodbye. It ends with Sheridan touching the screen and saying goodbye. Now he has to say hello. And so that scene, I think hits a little different on a rewatch. Mike, what do you got? Uh, I simply have to question that security saw a dead woman walk aboard the station and were like, yeah, his room is that way. And here's, I guess, the key to let yourself in. So JMS actually brought this up. This was a thing where in the script, it was a little different than how the director shot it. The question from the Usenet was, uh, why were station personnel seemingly surprised to see Anna? And why did Melissa Gilbert come last in the list of guest stars, which we won't really have to worry about. But the script said that the extras shouldn't make a big deal of seeing her. Okay, so the script actually said they shouldn't notice her, but the director did the different thing on set and had them kind of do second glances and stuff. So that's one of the times where JMS's script wasn't followed, and it's one of the reasons why we're asking this question, because it wasn't meant to be that way. She should have been able to just, Mike Morton does a lot, just kind of go on through. No one cares. Yeah, I mean, it would have made a lot more sense if she had, like, you know, talked to some shady person and they were like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's like slid it, slid him in or slid her on by like Morden often does. But yeah, just thought it was kind of kind of weird that they're all like, oh, we know who you are and that you're dead and it's totally fine. Well, remember when Morden came aboard, they said that his ID just hadn't been updated in a long time and he said that it was an error (laughs) yeah but this is no longer the first time that that's happened (laughs) yes well it's not the first time we pointed out that b5 security may not be the best at their jobs so (laughs) well i don't know and yet zach thought enough of it to call somebody and tell them but still they didn't stop her hey hey, i was gonna say he thought enough to call ivanova but not enough to say keep your dead ass right fucking (laughs) here and don't move (laughs) we got a zombie issue guys (laughs) please hold okay nicole um so the second she came on board and she gave her idea to that guy i just thought it was i thought there was something like i just got a my 
gut feeling was shady. Like, I thought the guy who checked her ID was shady. He just kind of like nods her along. Like, was he like low key a bad guy, like letting somebody in that shouldn't? So the whole time when she was walking to the room and like you're seeing the reactions, I'm like, this is a bad person. This is a bad person. This is a bad person, you know? And she's looking at the map, trying to find out where his room is or whatever. And then I saw Delenn pick up the snow globe and I was like oh shit and then it like dawned on me that she's about to come in the room whoever she is but I did not expect that but my first gut instinct was shady so shady counts high on this one so I'm like I said before I think she's a bad person it didn't set off the shady alarms when her ship or their ship at that point because she didn't know who it was came out of a shadow vessel <laughs> I mean I I must have missed that part <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I don't know how I missed that. I mean, but yeah, it could have been anyone's ship. Because <laughs> yeah. at that point, they're saying, who's the man in between? And then we cut to the shadow vessel and that little shuttle comes out. That's right. OK, yeah. yeah. Oh, so she is man. shady. She's a meat puppet. I knew it, bitch. <laughs> we'll have to see. We'll talk about Beyond the Rim. Ha ha ha. Justin. I mean, we're all having the reaction to this that I think that we're supposed to. I mm-hmm. mean, that's what everything is leading up to. And I guess this is kind of prediction territory for me. But I think Anna is the man in between, to be honest with you. Um, because, you know, who is, you know, it's it. it my first thought was was political and military about the your, you know, shared is equal and and opposite, you know, so. You know, I'll make the Khan reference again. You know, you got Kirk and you've got Khan. And that's kind of who I thought we were going to end up meeting. But then if you think about it, who is every person's equal and opposite? Their partner, their spouse, their wife, whatever you want to call it. So I think maybe that whole part of it is going to be all wrapped up to where Sheridan's biggest threat and Sheridan's biggest enemy is going to be his own thought to be deceased wife. And I think that's going to play crazy emotions into it because earlier on I kind of had this uneasy feeling when they were being all kind of oogly eyes at each other and stuff like that in Sheridan's quarters it was giving me those yeah something's gonna go wrong and they're gonna end up breaking up over something and this is probably gonna be it so it's yeah it's I really think that Anna is the is the kind of the fulfillment of that whole prophecy. Emily what do you got? Okay since we were talking about the man in between from the dream sequence. I actually was interpreting that as referring to Sheridan and he's between Delin and his wife who's working for the shadows. And Aww. like the man in between is looking for you is trying to figure out where his loyalty actually lies. Because I mean, obviously he doesn't want to be on the side of the shadows, but that's his wife. So what's he going to have to do? Like, is he going to end up having to fight and kill his wife? if that's even still his wife. I just, so yeah, that was kind of my interpretation that might actually still be referring to him because he's now in a really bizarre situation with her coming back and just walking in the room like, hey, I'm here. Damn, that's a good ass point. Dun, dun, dun. Well, you'll find out when you find out. In like two years or two seasons. Yeah. We've only got two seasons left, so sooner or later. <laughs> kind of sad actually- about that. Yeah, we're we're absolutely definitely, and even and I mentioned this a few episodes ago. Even when you count the movies, which are actually we're going to be watching our first movie here in uh, a couple weeks. Well, actually, a couple months. We're past the halfway point here, guys. There's still a lot more talk about though than just episodes. So doesn't mean the ride has to be over. Uh are you are you worried that we're going to be done? <laughs> I know. Are you going to kick us all off like it's going to oh, be the end of an era? I, our our fans have been already like listing out 
tons of stuff we can do. So yeah. I, I have a feeling uh, the ride will not be over October 2024, at least for Golden Girls. those who don't want to jump up. Golden Girls. Yeah, that's it. Gray 17, a Golden Girls podcast. That's <laughs> that's the plan. Anything else on the Delin Sheridan, Shadows, Anna, anything like that? Somebody. I can't believe no one has commented on that message that uh, Sheridan got when he was in MedLab that Delin had delivered of, I await your pleasure. Oh, that was weird. I was like phrasing, what the hell? You know, <laughs> that that's a, can, you, can, you, can you imagine the staff person who had to relay that message? She awaits you at your pleasure. And like, just like, can I change the it wording a little bit? Except it wasn't at your, it was, I, it was she you, awaits I your pleasure. Come on. pleasure. We've all ordered from Chick-fil-A before. <laughs> that's it, it the calm person came from chick-fil-a <laughs> okay. i feel i feel like if franklin was at full capacity he would have been like yeah get it <laughs> okay can we talk about how creepy it is to watch somebody sleep and she was like oh they you watch them sleep Mm-mm, absolutely the fuck not. No, thank you. well this is probably going to get me in trouble with the fans because you haven't heard this piece yet again this but I'm going to do it anyway because we're talking about it. This is not the first time she's watched Sheridan sleep. Oh. Do you remember when? When they were in the ship, right? When he was sleeping. Bingo. And oh. she made the rain come or whatever. Bingo, you're right. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still creeping. She said that you, the, the female watches three times. Mm-hmm. And um, Damn. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, it still wasn't as creepy as kissing with eyes open. I will shut say that. the fuck up. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm gonna, get pe- I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna drive down the Florida and get video of me kissing Peter with our eyes open. And I'm just gonna. <laughs> I would pay to see that. <laughs> okay, so that's what we're using Patreon money for is to. Uh... You leave that to sweet sweet man out of to this. Sexually harass. Well, uh, after you want to see this quality content of Scott driving to Florida. And kissed Peter. No. Check out our Patreon link below and up your level today. I will say though, our female members of this podcast saw Peter's son for the first time a few weeks ago. He's and hot. Yeah. So. <laughs> I even, I even, I remember. Okay, so I have to say this. I think Peter's posts are so wholesome and cute. Sometimes, like he's just so sweet and wholesome. And, and then, then he posted his comment. son, and I was like, "Damn, his son be fine." And I even <laughs> sent it to you guys. Like Peter's son's kind of hot. Like <laughs> anything else with the episode before we go into questions, predictions? Can't wait to watch the next one. <laughs> Z minus four days. Whatever Z, Z is. Minus, Z minus two at the end. Oh, is it two days at the end? Okay. Yeah. Z minus two days. Let's go into questions, predictions. And Justin, I already have for you that Anna is the man in between. Mm-hmm. And Emily, I have that Sheridan is the man in between. So I've got those written down already. Okay. So let's go to questions and predictions. And Justin, go first. Um, Questions. <sighs> the meat puppets, man. Um. It, it, are these are these real people or or clones? Like I think we've I think I might have actually like asked this question a long t- long ass time ago too. But like Morton and now Anna is the entire crew of the Icarus still alive working for the Shadows? You know, did they just get? Are they willing participants? Are they brainwashed? Why are these humans specifically who, who crash landed on Zaha Doom? All of a sudden, working for them. What what happened to them? And I hope we get that answer or that or that question finally answered here pretty soon. Then is 
I don't know. I get this feeling that Kosh is somehow still talking to Sheridan. There's something still going on there because Sheridan says in that scene where they're like talking about the prophecy that ever since Kosh died, he's been having these really weird dreams about Kosh and like reliving some of the the visions and stuff like that that Kosh sent to him over over time. And I don't know. It's it's. I think I don't know if there's like a little piece of Kosh still out there in the ether or if it, there's some kind of he's some kind of spirit talking to Sheridan, but there's still something going on there with Kosh. And I'm not quite sure what it is. Um, and then last question. Um, and I know this because I think it's been mentioned before on one of the other episodes, and it's on my damn DVD. The next episode is called Zahadun. And is that what Z stands for? That's one of my questions. And this then brings back to me the whole prophecy that Kosh told him, if you go to Zaha Doom, I won't be with you. And does Sheridan end up going to Zaha Doom? I don't know what to expect. I don't even have an inkling to guess what happens if he if he does end up going. So, um, Justin, you missed part of the prophecy on that. If you go to Zaha Doom, you will die. Well, yeah, that's I what did. Kosh. That's what Kosh told him. And then he yeah. said, "If I if I if I do this, I won't be there for you when you go to Zaha Doom." And mm-hmm. then Sheridan says, "But you told me I'd die." And he's like, "Now it's certain." Yeah. So. Yeah, that's going to be uh, next episode might be might be a rough one. But um, so uh, predictions, I think he goes and bad shit's going to happen. Um, and then, yeah, Anna being the man in between. Those are my two predictions for this episode. Also, too, just I just want to point one thing out. Didn't Lita say something about how she can't hear Kosh or like, you know, like something there was something about Kosh still speaking. So maybe Sheridan is the one that is hearing him still. Because Kosh, Alkosh asked if she had any Akash in him or in her because she could transfer Kosh. We saw that. And she said, no, but there may be another way. Yeah. There may be a connection to Kosh somehow. I think it's through Sheridan. It's it's Dr. McCoy, Star Trek three. Almost. That's, that's not a bad. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I do. I know. I smell what you're cooking, Scott. You know, you guys brought it up. This was like a conversation in that episode. Was it? Okay. We talked about Star Trek I, I, I've slept since then, man. <laughs> You're all going to have to give us some listens when you go back and listen to the shows that you were on. So we have a, a Beyond the Rim of Beyond the Rim. There have been fans who have asked for a commentary track, and I'm just like, do you really want me to make these guys go through over 100 episodes again? Do you really want me to do that? <laughs> but they have asked for a commentary track on the Beyond the Rim, basically where you all can tell us to go fuck ourselves when we say answer all your questions over and over again. <laughs> a handful of the big episodes would actually be fun to do. We could maybe do some stuff on the live, like, hey, let's listen to it Beyond the Rim and you all can ridicule us for being dicks like I'd the one down. where oh, like absolutely yeah. absolutely the one where Justin starts talking about angels cuz yeah. we, we 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 fuck with you so much what, and, well, yeah and you and you played that one and it was fantastic yeah okay so let's go to Nicole next questions and predictions well i guess a prediction would be that Sheridan is the one who Kosh is connected to so you could throw that down for prediction question who the fuck is the man in between what does that mean what is that um is anna real or is she just a prop for the shadows um and is she shady because i feel like she's shady um and then other questions i think that was really it and then prediction wise obviously 
I didn't think about Z being for Zaha Dune. I thought the Z was going to be when they come and attack Babylon 5. So I guess that's my prediction. Well, that's definitely foreshadowed. Sheridan points out a couple times. We've pissed them off. Yeah. So, or Garibaldi asked it first, right? Like, uh, anyone think about this? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We can't move this fucker. It's just sitting here. Yep. That's all I got. But now we know the reason why the shadows have been refusing to attack B5 up until now. So, and remember what we saw with uh, War Without End. They do come a calling or Mm. may come a Mm calling. Okay. Emily, questions, predictions. All right. So you got my first prediction, not mm-hmm. being in between. Being Sheridan, uh, yes. Or, sorry, yeah. So prediction number two, Sheridan's wife is going to fuck shit up. <laughs> I don't know how yet, but she's going to fuck some shit up. And then I have quite a few questions. Um, so did the shadow ship actually transmit a signal that the White Star couldn't detect when they were in hyperspace? Or was that just like kind of a random fluke that all the big ships and the whole like armada showed up? Okay, rewinding a bit. So when you say the armada, do you mean the shadow armada? Yeah, because White Star is hanging out in hyperspace as the scout. And then the little shadow scout ship shows up. Mm-hmm. And Marcus tells Ivanova that no, they didn't get a transmission out. But all of a sudden they all show up. Like the big yeah. shadow ships and their little... Yeah, that, that was actually explained by JMS because uh, there was questions on it. So I'll answer it for you here before okay. we even do it. But um, so they were always planning on attacking the refugees and people were asking, OK, well, why were they three hours out when they appeared out of hyperspace? And his excuse for that is they were basically corralling the refugees into one spot. If you just appear and immediately start attacking, you're going to spread the refugees out. They're going to be able to run. Some are going to get away. Some aren't. But if you just kind of come at them slowly and just corral them around because they don't have jump drives because they're refugee ships. And we've been told that it takes a lot of power to jump. So that's they were already coming. So they were already on their way. So the scout ship didn't necessarily have to transmit. Anything. It, yeah. It, and, hey, it may, yeah and, it, and it may have gotten out because remember, Ivanova says to jam it, but we don't know if she actually did. But they were already planning on coming. Yeah. I think it is kind of, if I was writing it, I wouldn't have said three hours because that seems like a long time to go through normal space. I, I don't think it's a plot hole. It's just you could have made it like an hour or a half an hour and it would have seemed a little less weird but but he jms said it's like he didn't want to jump right into the battle because then you don't get a ability to get all of the refugees out of the way in one picture did they ever show any refugees they never did all they showed was the two fleets because i think what what the point was i didn't think they made it to the refugees exactly because the the white star was only 20 minutes away and the refugees were three hours away so the white star was closer to that fleet and that's where the other fleet jumped in. All right. Next question. Have we figured out how strong the Mimbari telepaths actually are? Because they don't have to be line of sight. And it seemed like they didn't even need to be that close to the vessels. I'm so answering I'm all your out. questions. I'm answering right. all your questions without going to be on the rim. I love it. You know what? That's actually fantastic because that saves me a lot of headache for once in my life. JMS was asked about this one, too. And they flat out said, well, we were told Lita needed line of sight uh what about the mimbari and his response was we only showed their faces how do you not know there's not a viewer up above their heads okay so we could just <laughs> message, but... jms trolling people back in the 30 30 years ago i love it great helpful all right what is next okay how the fuck is his wife still alive and why which leads into my next question 
was it actually her choice to get on that vessel and go to Zaha Doom? Or was she aware of its significance beforehand? Like, was she already maybe compromised before getting on that vessel that ended up there? And is this some... So they've talked about, like, the battle with the shadows happens about every thousand years. Like, it's just a cycle, which has made me wonder, is there some connection between Sheridan and his wife and they're continually going through this cycle? Maybe not always married, but they're always going to be on opposing sides in the battle. And let's see. Um, Does Morden actually know she's alive or is he not in on this little tidbit of information? Because it almost seemed like he may not have been aware of her position with the shadows or he played it off as not knowing very well. And the last question, why exactly did the shadows retreat if the they were losing only losing one ship for every two they were taken out? Like they still seem to have the upper hand, so why would they retreat? Cool. Any other predictions you have? Um You already said that Anna man, was gonna, his wife's really gonna fuck shit up. Yeah, you already said that one, so I got that one. Okay. Well, good. So we'll go ahead and leave it here for this week with our newbies. We're going to jettison out the airlock. And when we come back from the credits, we will answer all these questions and predictions. And the newbies can't listen to it for another year, which I love. I love. Next week, we'll be here for the season finale, Zahadum. And actually, uh, a reminder that the week after that, October 22nd, which is a Sunday on, in the United States time zones, we'll be doing our season three recap. And then that will drop as a podcast on our normal Wednesday. And then we will start season four right after that. So we're just trucking along one episode and two seasons to go. So until next week, when we talk about Zaha Doom, I've been Scott and with me has been Nicole, Emily, Blake, Mike, and Justin. And Mike already said he was really trying to hit the button, so I'm looking forward to seeing how long you all wait to watch the next episode. It's it's early tonight for most of us. Yeah, I don't look human enough for a reaction video, so <laughs> probably be tomorrow. Mm-mm. Oh wait, and by I, have tomorrow. Pre- I have a prediction. Ooh. Space Karen is going to go to a restaurant and be rude to the serving staff and then not leave a tip. <laughs> I want to speak to the manager. Yes. Toodaloo, bitches. Thank you for listening to Gray Seventeen, a Babylon Five podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim again. This is a spoiler section, so if you've not watched past Shadow Dancing or if you can't remember what you watched before, then this is not the section for you. We're going to go ahead and start answering all the questions and predictions. And Kevin has joined us. So we also have Mike, Blake, myself, and Kevin on the Beyond the Rim section. So, Kevin, I think you had you said something you want to add before we got into questions predictions. 
Yeah, the the reading I was doing about the uh, production of this particular episode, uh, several of the actors, including uh, Jason Carter and Claudia Christian, Box Leitner and Mira Furlong, all talked about how difficult this particular episode was to film because when they were doing the scenes of the battle, they're looking at a black screen. So... Boxleitner actually had to re-record and overdub some of his uh, some of his lines because not only did he say he was coming down with something, but he said he just did not have the energy that he should have. And after he was able to see some of the the scenes from post production, he went back and he's like, "Look, I've got to redo some of this. It looks terrible." Or it sounds terrible. Well, if you did ADR, you really can't notice. They did a good job of mixing They must have, because he, he said it was it was at least several lines that he had to redub because of how he was unhappy with how he had performed it, having not been able to see what exactly was going on. I mean, you can you can read it in the script, but when you go to film it, it's it's a whole different thing. Um the other the other Mira uh, talked about it too she said that it, it's it's terrible to do this kind of thing as an actor because you when you you know throw a ball at somebody and they throw it back to you you're you're working with something but with this it was almost impossible to get the full scope of what was going on um the other part of it that i want to talk about was uh, the fact that, um, you know, the, the actor that plays Stephen Franklin doing this, you know, he's doing the other part of himself with another actor saying the lines who's never going to be seen or heard from. And he tried not to think about that because he, he thought how how terrible it was that uh, they're using, you know, some guy that no one's ever going to know about. But he he said that he really tried to. Uh, almost overact to make it so much different from uh you know from one performance to the other the two sides of himself but i i just found this particularly interesting that of all the episodes that we've talked about this is the one where everyone was like yeah this one sucked to film it's interesting too because we brought this up uh with the newbies as well as jms pointed out that this is his favorite episode of the season and it's because there's so much going on it's more of a season finale than Zaha Doom is, aside from like the end of Zaha Doom, but because there's so much plot points going on and so many, everyone's involved. So it's interesting that they put a lot of time and effort into this one uh, as the penultimate episode. The the other thing that JMS talked about that I, I was seeing was that people were upset that he was doing the culmination of Franklin's storyline in this particular episode where the battle for the galaxy is basically going on. And JMS is like, a battle is a battle. And a big battle, small battle, everyone's having them. Why was this a terrible episode to have the culmination for Franklin's storyline when uh, he's having the worst kind of personal battle you can have? Besides the fact that he's dealing with addiction, he's also been stabbed and possibly about to lose his life. So he says, that just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I, I would, I would agree. I don't think that makes sense either. I mean, you got a philosophical problem with uh, having, having the A and the B plot in this episode. I'm not, I'm not seeing that. Anything else anyone wanted to add about the episode that the newbies didn't chat about? It's actually really insightful. I had never, I had not thought about the personal battle juxtaposed with the 
giant epic space battle is kind of that's a, that's a nice kind of symmetry. Yeah, I mean, Jamros wrote it that way specifically, and then I, apparently there must have been some sort of blowback about it, but he was just perplexed by it, and I, I have to agree with him on that. The other one that was a little bit of blowback that I actually found really funny because it's pure JMS is at least one monumental douchebag in the 90s pointed out that the 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 scene between Delenn and Sheridan was uh, anti-man because, of course... The men have to be told they can't sleep with the women again, and they have to be told that if they push things, that they'll be uh, forced to have contact cut off and everything else. And JMS's response in 96 is just, it, it, it's timeless. He says, uh, the vengeance is, uh, the vengeance is he, she cites, would, should the male insist she stay another night or she can leave once she, he falls asleep, complain to the elders, even cut off access to his family? These hardly sound like anti, any anti-male rhetoric, but rather precautions taken to deal reasonably should someone get out of line. It doesn't state that all men do this, but sets in place what to do should some men to do this. And here comes the quintessential JMS. This is not a problem of context. This is a problem of perception. It has nothing to do with the scene and everything to do with how you perceive the role of males in society. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How dare the lady have any agency whatsoever? How dare she? Yeah. Let's move into the questions and predictions. And of course, a lot of the questions had to deal with the Anna reveal at the end. So let's, I'm going to read all of these off and we'll just kind of hit them all together at this point. So how is Anna still alive? Are these real people or clones? Was it Anna's choice to get on the ship? And is Anna shady? She is most definitely shady. Mm-hmm. Shadowy, even. Mm. <laughs> and they're real people. The shadows just sort of keep them around and yeah. dust them off yeah. and have some really good animatronics for them when they need yeah. to. Yeah. Later, yeah. they they mentioned pulling them out of, like, <laughs> like defrosting them or something, don't they? Like... Yeah, and then that happens next episode when uh, Justin, who is the man in between, I still stand behind that, talks about what happens. They basically keep these folks on ice until they're needed. So Anna's been, you know kept uh, cold for about 10 years and they've been waiting if they ever need her. So of course we go into the conversation about the meat puppets and I'm sure we'll get comments from the folks who fight us on this, but I still think that uh, we are dealing with people who have, do not have free will. Yeah, they we are dealing with people who are being uh, uh, Mike. I know you said they're actually being taken over by shadows in a couple episodes ago, but in either case, they are being manipulated, whether it is externally or internally. And it's not Anna Sheridan, Bruce's or Bruce's Sheridan's wife, who is making the decision to get into the ship. It's not her who is making the decision to confront Delenn in the middle of the night and Sheridan's uh, bedroom. It is the shadows telling Anna, the meat puppet, to do it. At least in my opinion. I just don't see it any other way. I mean, why why would Anna Sheridan pre you know, getting getting lit up by the shadows, work with them willingly. That just doesn't make any sense whatsoever of of the person that we've heard anything about. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. Yeah, and I guess to clarify my, my viewpoint, I don't think it's a, a men in black situation where a shadow literally climbed inside of her skin. <laughs> They're wearing an egger suit. <laughs> it's, I, I almost liken it more to a Stargate kind of thing where there is an entity psychically or parasitically implanted mm-hmm. that that has access to her mind and her memories 
drives her around. <laughs> As we continue on with the Anna stuff, does Morden know Anna is alive? I'm sure mm-hmm. he does. Yeah, because he'll be here next episode. They hang out together in their little dormitory. But yeah, it's and again, it's it goes back to the very same question we just had. Does it matter if Morden knows? Because Morden is a tool of the shadows as well. So it doesn't really matter. He, he's aware, but Morden is also just a tool as Anna is. At least, again, I know there are opinions out there that disagree with that, and you can absolutely put them in the comments below, uh, but um, that's that's where I'm thinking it is. Anything else you guys want to add about Anna before we dive into some other stuff? think there's anything else to talk about at this point. Uh, there'll be more next week for sure. Yeah. Especially her scream when she gets nuked. <laughs> is there a piece of Kosh still out there? And is he a spirit? Because the the, the context there, Kevin, is uh, since uh, Sheridan's getting these flashbacks again, or at least remembering them, mm-hmm. is it Kosh prodding him to remember? Yes, there's still a piece of Kosh that's inside Sheridan. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about that on a previous uh mm-hmm beyond the rim that Mm -hmm. uh we were going to see this and so we have yeah we'll get i mean we'll basically get told by Lorianne when we get to season four that kosh is absolutely still in sheridan and that's one of the reasons sheridan survives when he shouldn't is kosh doesn't want to die just as much as sheridan doesn't want to die so he's not really a spirit per se he's not like a ghost floating around but he is a part of sheridan (laughs) they finally made the connection (laughs) Because in here, in a, Kevin, I, I don't know if you called it or not last week, but somebody did. Justin looked at his DVDs and yeah, saw that right. the next episode is Zaha Doom. Yeah. Okay. So he saw it was Zaha Doom. So the question ding, is, ding, ding, ding. does Z stand for Zaha Doom? <laughs> Good job. Now, Nicole still thinks it's an attack on Babylon 5. So not everyone's on the Zaha Doom train, but uh, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> does Sheridan end up going to Zaha Doom? Yes. yes, and you know, the you named an episode that I'm pretty sure we're gonna <laughs> go there. You know, I, I I feel like I have to step in on the cold behalf because I, think, <laughs> because I think her prediction actually makes more sense given what they know at this point. Yes, they've heard of Zaha Doom, but again, it I think I said this before that they I don't feel like the importance of Zaha Doom is really known to any of the newbies yet, not fully elaborated on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, while the Z in the countdown is, you know, kind of obvious, maybe. If it was little, S day, maybe we the shadows a little on the nose. Uh but uh but the heavy, heavy foreshadowing or or I don't know what you want to call it, not actually foreshadowing, but all the dread that they lay out about an eventual attack on B5 makes a lot more sense for that being what would come next. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. see I can see that they I might get it, think Nicole. it might be I get something it. else. Well, I get it. Your commentary track, don't call me a dick. And, and if Sheridan <laughs> hadn't gone to Zaha Doom, that's exactly what would have happened. He goes to Zaha Doom to stop them before right. they have the chance to attack. Even though he was blatantly warned against it by future Delenn and probably should have listened to his future wife, but not so much. Well, and also by Kosh, too. He he flat out says, if you go to Zaha Doom, you'll die and I will not be there to help. Then we get into some more shadowy stuff. Who is the man in between? And we had a whole conversation about this because there's some debate online about who the man in between is. But I think it's clear it's... uh, it's Justin who we'll meet next week, especially after watching this episode again. And they basically say, you know, there's two hands. You have the the side of light and you have the side of darkness. And the other argument is that the man in between is Lorianne. Uh, 
but that it comes after the encounter with Justin. So I don't think it's Lorianne, but there are people online who do say that Lorianne is the man in between. What do you guys think? And if we you can't remember who Justin stuff. is, it's Mark Twain. <laughs> We've had this discussion. You're right, Blake. Yeah, we have. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure either. <laughs> I, I stand on the Justin. I will say JMS doesn't help anything because depending on what, much like everything else JMS says, depending on when you catch him, he'll tell you different things. But at least once he has said that Justin's the man in between. <laughs> what, and what I and the, I still lean towards Lorian. See, what was okay, the Blake. actual prophecy related to the man in between. The man in between is looking for you. That's all it was. I don't have a strong opinion. So, Blake, because not everyone has been with us through that the entire show, tell us again why you think it's Lorian. Oh, hell, you're asking me to remember that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, not to put words in your mouth, but I think mainly it's because Lorian meets him between death and life. Yeah, and, and that's it. Is because Lori, it is the man in the middle between the tick and the talk, between the light and the dark. I mean that that for me is why I've always kind of leaned towards Lorian on that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like I like that. Yeah. This is exactly how it went last time. It, it I was is, the only guy saying Justin. <laughs> see, and I always gravitate towards that idea too that it that it has something to do with hanging between life and death. And so then I like I know I initially was like, well, it's Morden, or you know, because he's he's alive, but is he? You know that kind of thing. And at one point, I, I would almost have argued Kosh because Kosh is also this disembodied essence at this point. But you know, I yeah, I I, I do agree that it's either Justin or Lorianne. I'm not sure that I feel strongly enough about which theory. I think in about four or five weeks, we'll have a better conversation too, because we'll have seen both scenes. We'll see the Justin Sheridan encounter. And we will see the Lorian resurrection of Sheridan stuff. So uh, we'll definitely come back and talk about it again, I'm sure. Because it's been a while. I mean, I haven't watched season four since, I don't know, probably 10 years. So these scenes will be a little bit newer to me than most. Emily got biblical or something. And because we were being told that there are cycles of battles every thousand years, is there always a wife and a husband as part of those battles on the side of light and dark? And she is projecting. <laughs> she got more into this episode, at least, than last one. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is, and actually we're going to learn more as we go, is Sheridan is breaking the cycle. So this doesn't happen. Right. There usually isn't one, the one, be it Delenn, Sinclair, or Sheridan, that unifies the galaxy. That doesn't happen. It happened at the very end, a thousand years ago, which allowed the shadows to be defeated but usually you mean this isn't the matrix no it's not thank god because the first one's great and the last one suck vis-a-vis therefore whatever that that guy's the man in the uh, tv room says so and then finally for our questions why did the shadows retreat at the end of the battle Uh, because they were kind of getting hurt for the first time probably in a long time yeah they were feeling they were feeling that they were getting beat up more than they should and also are the refugees even worth it? I mean, yeah, and I think it was Emily who pointed out, well, they were only losing one ship for every two ships on the other side, but you're trying to just kill refugees. How many ships are, are they worth? What's the return on investment? So, well, yeah, especially if, if what they were spelling out, it, to me, what they're spelling out about the whole shadow strategy is that they're going for a shock demoralizing crushing yeah. shock value attack which Break the clearly now your enemy is on to you they know exactly what you're trying to do so even if you accomplish it can you accomplish it yeah so now they're changing strategies yeah that makes perfect sense so let's move into predictions now anna is the man in between she's yeah. a man baby no <laughs> no no 
<laughs> no. Although I do love that they're actually trying to make connections and they're trying to figure out who is what. So I appreciate that. Uh, on the same note, Anna is going to fuck shit up. Yes. <laughs> I suppose. But not, but not nearly as much as that white star with a nuke that right. crashes through the skylight. Yeah, no, I completely agree. But the whole point is, if Anna hadn't shown up, Sheridan may not have gone to Zaha Doom. Right. So it, it definitely changed it. It 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 upends the table table on game night is what it does. Right, but it 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 doesn't change Sheridan's outlook on his future. You know, he's still going to be in love with Delenn and doesn't really give Anna a second thought. And then going back to Emily's husband and wife cycles, she asked, uh, she thinks that Sheridan is the man in between because he's in between Delenn and his wife. She oh, really, no. was... really is into this stuff. I, you know, these are another one of these things where, again, I gravitated myself toward the idea of the man in between referencing like somebody who is somehow caught between life and death. And so when they mentioned Anna for like half a second, I'm like, maybe Sheridan and what he goes through, eh, maybe, but I, this one, definitely not. Because otherwise, Anna would be a main character throughout the series. <laughs> the newbies were making it very clear that they think that Anna is here to stay for a little bit. Like they're talking about what's the dynamic going to be on the station? Is Delin and Cher are Delin and Sheridan <laughs> going to break up? So the fact that she gets fucking nuked in forty-five minutes, I'm looking forward to <laughs> reactions on that. <laughs> but then like, Morgan comes back after being nuked, so who knows? Um, sure. The last two are kind of we've already discussed, but. Sheridan does go to Zaha Doom, and bad shit happens. Wow, thank you, Captain Obvious. Yeah, that was Justin. I figured. <laughs> and it's true. Bad shit does happen. I mean, Sheridan literally dies, and Zaha Doom gets nuked, and the shadows get hurt. They don't get destroyed, but they definitely get uh, put on their heels for the the final battle, which will come in season four. And then the last one again is, uh, I love those uh, binary yes and no's. Sheridan is connected to Kosh. And Good the job. answer is yes. Nice yes, job. Is. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we get to the final episode of season three, which is rated the second highest episode of the entire series, just beyond, behind Severed Dreams? Here's see what they think when we get there. You know, JMS foreshadowed it a lot in the Usenet and I didn't talk about it with the newbies because, well, I didn't want to. But as I mentioned, he said that Shadow Dancing was his favorite episode. But he also said he did it in a way to where you should understand that it's not going to be a, a big bang of an episode. It's not going to be a big battle. You got the big battle last episode. It's not going to be a huge change on the station. You got that this episode with Franklin. So it's something different, which will be interesting. It's a penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how the newbies handle. Because honestly, aside from Sheridan going to Zaha Doom, not much really. I mean, it's a lot of talking and a lot of understanding what's going on and a lot of dynamics that way. But not much happens until that White Star shows up. I think we're going to feel some underwhelm. I don't, I don't know what the right word is, but I think some of them are going to be underwhelmed by the, the next episode goes down. The one thing that does annoy me, uh, because people die in this show, and we had this conversation last week about this. Uh, Emily and Justin, at least, have the DVDs. And even on the streamer, you're going to see that Sheridan's on season four. So when he died at the end of season three with a nuke, you had to wait from October until January of the next year to find out if Sheridan had survived. Our guys are going to know immediately. So that's one drawback to watching this 30 years after it's aired. So I'll have to see. 
Okay, guys, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Again, to everyone, thanks so much for joining us. I know we probably had some new folks join us for this episode, so please hit that like, follow, subscribe. Leave us a review on Apple or on Audible. Uh, and as I mentioned, we are very close to having 500 subscribers just on Spotify. So if you're listening on Spotify and you haven't clicked the follow button yet, please do that so we can get some more uh, interest over there. And on our Apple side, we've got a lot more than that. So if you're not subscribing on Apple and you're listening there, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. We really appreciate it. And then we'll be talking about Zaha Doom next week, but the week after will be our live season three recap. So if you want to be a part of that live discussion, go to our YouTube channel right now and you can click the notify button on the season three recap so you know when we do go live, which will be October 22nd. And then we'll just dive right into season four after that. So uh, until next week when we go to Zaha Doom, I've been Scott and with me has been Mike. Mike. And Kevin. Thanks everybody and uh, enjoy whatever you enjoy. I don't know. I never have an outro. Enjoy whatever you like. (laughs) Someday I'd like to be stationed somewhere with a big four-poster bed, canopy, and maybe a window with a view of a garden. I like gardens. And big four-poster beds. You are the hand. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Why would I say anything as dopey-sounding as that?